Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. Great to be with you once again, Brian Tripp. Thanks for stopping by. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics and a great conversation coming up today with Dennis Scanlon, the NCAA Faculty Athletics Representative at Penn State. We're going to dive into his background and discuss what that title means and what those responsibilities are. I'm sure it's something you've heard before, whether it's at Penn State or anywhere across intercollegiate athletics and the NCAA, NCAA Faculty Athletics Representative. What are those responsibilities? What are some of the things that come across his desk, come across that table on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. And Dennis is extremely busy right now and very generous with his time. He's the Distinguished Professor of Health Policy and Administration at Penn State, the Director of the Center for Healthcare and Policy Research. So here is someone that is heavily involved, whether it's chairing a committee with the COVID-19 response and Penn State's plans, the university's plans for an athletics perspective. And also, what what are those discussions, not only in the Big Ten, but across the NCAA, as someone who's a chair and a part of those committees. So I think this is a really timely conversation, and I also think it's a really in-depth and educational conversation. You're going to enjoy this. Dennis Scanlon, our guest this week on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Dennis, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Sure. Happy to be here. Well, Dennis, I think we've heard over the years, and this is a term that comes up whether it's in the news or someone's reading an article, the NCAA Faculty Athletics Representative. And I can... I can really simply summarize it as the liaison between the athletic director and the athletic department and the university, the faculty senate. But can you give us more of a description besides that simplistic that simplistic phrase that I just used? Sure, Brian. You know, the, the NCAA faculty athletics representative was set up to be uh, an individual who has broad oversight in an advisory to, in our case, the president of the university regarding the athletic program in making sure that it operates within the confines of, of an academic institution, which at the end of the day, we are at Penn State, um, an institution whose primary mission is to educate young men and women um, and, uh, and to provide them with an education. So uh, I report directly to President Barron, um, although I interact uh, very closely with the Athletics Administration, as well as the Faculty Senate and its various committees. Uh, I myself am a faculty member. I'm a professor of health policy and administration. I've been at Penn State for 24 years. And so first and foremost, I'm a, a member of the faculty and uh, I teach, I do research and, and fully understand and embrace uh, our academic uh, mission. Um, you're right that uh, in some ways, faculty athletic rep um, sort of uh, sounds pretty obvious in terms of what it is, but, but to be a little bit more specific, I sort of look at my function in four different areas. Uh, First of all, I want to make sure that we have academic integrity within our uh, athletic program. And what that means is that our student athletes are uh, enrolled in in courses. They're making progress towards degrees. uh, They're meeting all academic uh, requirements. And at the end of the day, they're setting themselves up to get a Penn State degree, which is going to have a, a lifetime of rewards and opportunities. And so first and foremost, that's that's what I do. And that's all within the context of, of looking at Penn State student-athletes the same way we look at any Penn State student. Second, 
the NCAA has a number of compliance issues related to eligibility, related to recruiting, related to um, uh, more recently uh, time demands and making sure our student athletes have time to be students and have time to sort of focus on other things as part of that collegiate experience in addition to just athletics. And so I work very closely with Matt Stolberg and his shop in athletics compliance. I also work uh, very closely with Penn State's Office of, of Integrity uh, to make sure that from a compliance perspective, we're following not only NCAA rules, uh, but Big Ten rules, but also our, our own uh, ethics standards that we have here at the university. Um, in addition to that, uh, I focus on student athlete welfare. I wanna make sure that our student athletes um, are, uh, are, are doing well from a mental health, from a physical health perspective. So while we have others who have primary responsibility for um, sports medicine and, and athletic training, you know, I, I do uh, work closely with those folks and, uh, you know, just try to stay on top of, of things that are important for student athletes. So, for example, with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, we have lots of concerns about uh, isolation, about the ability to, to not practice and compete and the impact that that has on physical and mental health. And so these are some concerns that none of us predicted because we didn't predict uh, the, the, the pandemic, but the types of things that, that we focus on uh, right now, uh, also with the Black Lives Matters, uh, um, that's very important in understanding uh, the importance and the impact and the educational needs for our student uh, athlete population. All of this I do, um, advisory to President Barron. And so in, in some ways you could argue that I'm a set of eyes and ears. Uh, the president has uh, a, a very difficult and important job, you know, right now focusing on the pandemic, always focusing on a whole variety of things, budgetary issues and, and just the issues that arise as a university president. Obviously, President Barron is highly focused on athletics as well, but I can serve in, in many ways as, as his eyes and ears and advise him on these issues. And, and lastly, I would say um, one of the unique things about the Big Ten Conference is the faculty athletics reps are well-organized and very much integrated with the athletic directors and the senior women administrators uh, within the conference. So we really work closely together and cohesively. It's, it's a tight-knit group. It's, it's really fun to be a part of. And uh, so I participate in the Big Ten governance meetings as well. And um, during the past year, actually, my term just ended at the end of June, I uh, just by alphabetical rotation was chair of the fa faculty athletics group and therefore chair of the joint group. And so I had some governance responsibilities for the conference as well. So uh, uh, a lot a lot involved in the job, but uh, I really enjoy it and I'm, I'm happy to serve Penn State. Yeah, I think a lot to un unpack. But when you look at a place like Penn State, and let's just start the conversation here, when you have an athletic department that has a tradition in history, you hear the phrase tradition of excellence. And now with Sandy Barber and the current administration preparing student athletes for a lifetime of impact to immerse yourself in that culture. Penn State's really always embraced that culture of it's student athletes. So you have student first, athlete second, and trying to make these individuals, whether it's a, a football player or a women's swimmer, they, they want to make sure that they have comprehensive excellence and they're committed not only to their athletics, but also academics. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I would not do this job if, if that was not sort of what our standard was here at Penn State, if that was not our, our values. I, I would really have no interest in, in doing this job. And, and I think we do it very well at Penn State. Um, a little background, I was a student athlete myself many, many years ago uh, at Villanova University. Uh, I played ice hockey, which uh, was interesting at Villanova back then. And we really were a D3 program within a Division I uh, institution. But nonetheless, 
I have the experience of, of being a student athlete and uh, I, I've coached uh, my, my young children. I have four children who all have been athletes at, uh, all, all the way through high school and, and uh, one who aspires to, 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 to be an athlete in college. And so I, I really um, embrace and understand kind of the importance of uh, academics first and in, in, in athletics, uh, you know, if not second to, to, to kind of go along with, with that. Um, what I say is uh, it does start with the history here at Penn State, and we have a long history of, of uh, viewing it that way. But it also starts with the, the people and the culture that we set. So athletic administration, um, obviously, and, and the hiring that, that comes from uh, President Barron and the administration of the university, our coaches, uh, very impressed with our coaches. And I think uh, having been part of some search committees for some relatively new coaches that, that we've hired in the past few years, you know, I, I can tell you that uh, I've been involved in that process, um, that, that we emphasize academics through the interview process, uh, and we want to make sure that we bring people in that really understand that that's how we operate here at Penn State. And uh, in, in quite frankly, you know, as part of those searches, if, if we have questions about whether people truly get that, uh, that academics do come first, then, you know, they, they are, are not going to be somebody uh, that we hire. But as a result of that, it really uh, leads to the student athletes that we recruit. And, you know, it's just a pleasure to work with our roughly 850 student athletes because the, the data in the metrics uh, speak volumes for themselves. Um, you know, we, we hear our, our graduation uh, success rate. We hear our academic progress rate. Uh, one statistic that, that I really like is, in, and I looked at this um, oh, about a year or so ago, uh, about two-thirds of our student athletes um, in a recent graduating class graduated with a 3.0 GPA or above. We, we often look at and report uh, GPAs on a semester-semester basis, but we find that two-thirds of our student athletes actually finish their Penn State academic career uh, above a 3.0. That's phenomenal when you think of the time they spend at their sport, the time they spend on the road traveling and competing, you know, the injuries and uh, the time management that, that comes along with it. And the other thing is, you mentioned uh, academics first. We allow our student athletes to major in whatever academic program study they want. Well, they always miss practice uh, for class. Uh, that, that, that's an NCAA rule. But uh, we don't discourage that. We want them to be engineers. We want them to be nurses. We want them to be student teachers. Um, and sometimes that provides a little bit of uh, a challenge of, uh, with the athletic schedule. For example, um, fitting in that student teaching requirement as part of the College of Education. But we figure out a way to navigate it because our priority is academics first and really allowing our student athletes to choose a major and a career path that they want. And, and I know for sure that we have student athletes that appreciate that and they say that that's why they come to Penn State because during the recruitment process, uh, they may be discouraged from certain majors at other institutions. So it really is a pleasure. Not Do, do we have some challenges here and there? Absolutely, every program does. But uh, by and large, we've got a great support system but we bring in really talented uh, uh, students and, uh, and they do a great job. You mentioned your undergrad from Villanova. Do you have to hide the other degrees from the University of Pittsburgh and University of Michigan um, in your office <laughs> since you're here at Penn State? Yeah, that's funny you mentioned that. I do have a master's from, uh, from Pitt and uh, a doctorate degree from the University of Michigan. Keith Embray, uh, the athletics department, will give me a hard time when he introduces me at uh, new student orientation. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's funny. We, uh, 
in, in the academic world, like the athletic world, were, were collegial and competitive uh, at the same time. So actually, if you look at, if you look at Penn State faculty, uh, many of them have degrees from Big Ten institutions and, uh, you know, or, or other institutions within the state because there's only a handful of what we call research uh, one institutions across the country. So we all train each other and we, we all go to various places um, uh, to, to, to practice our academics. Uh, you know, I like to think that it, uh, it helps us give us a, a unique perspective. But my loyalties certainly are uh, with Penn State. Dennis, appreciate you answering that question. Uh, you've I've seen you, whether it's at a hockey practice down between the benches or you're at games. What do you do to foster relationships with student athletes and coaches where you're not just someone who's coming and overseeing, but you're someone that's really learning the inner workings and getting to know the people that you're working with on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And it's, it's a challenge because we do have uh, 31 teams and 850 student athletes. So um, I certainly don't know them all by name, um, but I try to get out and support every team. And, you know, in, in my mind, um, it, you know, I'll also say I, I also continue to juggle my academic responsibilities as yeah. well as a teacher, as a researcher, and I direct a research center. Mm-hmm. Currently, I'm sort of working uh, with the administration on or plans regarding COVID-19. So time management, uh, which I learned as a student athlete, is something that is very important for me as well. I kind of, in my mind, have a rotation where I'll try to get out to a, a practice or a competition um, or, uh, or or speak. Uh, oftentimes, coaches will invite me to, to just talk uh, with the team. So I want to sort of touch uh, each team, if I can, at least once a year, uh, if not more. I'll also attend some of the larger ICA events like the Nittany's and, you know, just kind of roam the room and and uh, introduce myself. Or if I'm out at, you know, sort of a coffee shop and I see a student athlete, I'll sort of say hello and, and try to engage them in conversations because I, I want to sort of understand their perspective. And, and, uh, and they really they really appreciate that. Um, you know, one of the things I'll emphasize, Brian, uh, before I had this role, um, I was a faculty partner. Um, as part of the faculty partners program that we have in athletics. And, and since then, uh, we've actually sort of expanded that program a little bit more. And we have one faculty member who uh, is assigned to each team to serve in that role. And what that faculty member does is a liaison with the coach and the student athletes to the academic side of the house. So this is someone that generally is not teaching the students on the team. Um, but it really is someone who uh, can, can just be a connection. And so our faculty partners do, do a lot of things. Uh, they'll, they'll host a, a meal at their home, a picnic uh, or a barbecue. And all that's fully allowed uh, under NCAA and, and Big Ten conference rules. Um, they will uh, sometimes provide uh, advice on careers or resume writing um, or, or various things like that. And importantly, uh, I find for our coaches, this is a, a good liaison to the uh, to the campus, if you will. We often call it the, the, the campus because many of our uh, athletic facilities, as you know, are kind of over towards Beaver Stadium or Bryce Jordan Center. Uh, and so in some ways, that's where our coaches' offices are. That's where the locker rooms and the practice facilities are. And, and they feel um, sometimes maybe a little bit disconnected from campus. So the idea with this faculty partner program is to provide a faculty member and, you know, our coaches are, uh, are curious. Again, we hire people who uh, sometimes they, they want to sort of talk uh, substance. They want to talk about academic disciplines and what's going on in the economy or what's going on with politics. And it's a great liaison to have. Sometimes they just want to kind of get a, a pulse on what are you seeing among, you know, sort of entering high school students or the college age student 
in, in you know in, in the classroom. And so that's another way. Uh, not only myself uh, as a former faculty partner, but trying to bring in other faculty members as well. I'll give you one other example. All of our faculty partners uh, for the past couple of years have been providing um, uh, education at the beginning of the year on the topic of academic integrity. You know, it's it, academic integrity is something that we all strive for, uh, obviously. But um, with the advent of, uh, you know, uh, social media and, of course, with the Internet, there are many, many ways to cheat, um, some of which, you know, are not so obvious. <laughs> um, sometimes, uh, you know, sort of websites that masquerade as, you know, sort of uh, tools that, that seemingly, um, you know, don't seem problematic, but actually when you get into it, uh, could be problematic from an academic perspective. So our faculty partners are educating our student athletes on that as well, because we want them to be well aware of some of the you know challenges and pitfalls that they face out there. Dennis, I think we could have a conversation for two, three, four hours. We could get into everything about transfer portal and compliance. And there's so many things, but the elephant in the room right now, I think especially, and I mentioned in the introduction, your background in healthcare, health policy, administration with COVID-19. And I'm not going to put you in a position to comment for President Barron or for Sandy Barber, but can you just take us through some of the dynamics of the discussions that not only the university is having, but maybe as a Big Ten conference and an NCAA that they're having right now and what those dynamics are that everyone is trying to navigate through to make sure student athletes, students in general, first of all, but student athletes, teams, fingers crossed here, can get back in the fall and make sure that they're in a position to do so safely and whatever it may be to ensure that everyone is taken care of when they get back to campus. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been uh, knee deep in this uh, since since March, both uh, within the Big Ten. Again, mentioned my my role as uh, chair of the joint group and as our faculty athletics group. Um, you know, we've uh, as chair of the faculty athletics uh, reps, we had uh, every other week meeting since March, which I felt was necessary given the uh, pandemic and its importance. And then certainly on, on campus here, I've been heavily involved uh, both with the athletic discussions as well as our discussions on campus generally. Um, I think you hit on it, you know, at the end of the day, health, safety, and welfare has to be our number one priority. You know, what I'd say, Brian, is uh, it, it's interesting when I compare um, and think about the athletic side, you know, <laughs> athletes are competitive, you know, by nature. I mean, coaches are competitive, administrators are competitive. As a faculty rep, I'm competitive because I'm a former student athlete. And I think part of what that means is, you know, we all want to get back um, to to competing and to practicing and to do what our student athletes love to do and what our coaches love to do. So I think it's it's been a um, it's been interesting to sort of see the discussion because I think that in all aspects, you know, I think we really start out aspirational with that goal of, you know, we're going to get back. We want to get back. You know, how soon can we get back? I think. Um, you know, the challenge has, has been as we sort of look and unpeel the onion, you know, there are a ton of logistics that are really important and a ton of uncertainty um, uh, around this virus that makes, again, focusing on health, safety and welfare a challenge. So that has gotten us into a lot of important weeds uh, related to testing and safety protocols and um in, in how this meshes with the, the you know, academic decisions around the calendar uh, of the university. You know, so at Penn State, we announced on June 15th our intention to get back to uh, in-person classes. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the athletic programs have to kind of lag that a little bit and understand that 
athletics is one piece of a much larger puzzle, which is Penn State University. Uh, I think the other thing that's been really interesting to sort of navigate is the political dynamics, quite frankly. And I mentioned how cohesive we are as a Big Ten conference, and, and I truly believe that. Mm-hmm. I think the Big Ten conference is uh, is a top-notch conference. I mean, we're like-minded institutions, um, similar values and principles. Uh, we, we get along very well. But as you actually look at sort of the state-level response to uh, COVID-19, you know, we, we have a mix of um, different political uh, parties in, in, in governors and um, political uh, ideology right now across our Big Ten institutions. And that's important landscape uh, to navigate without kind of getting into detail. So it truly is a puzzle. It remains a puzzle. And I think at the end of the day, again, given my healthcare background um, and health background uh, and working with the epidemiologists, you know, that I work with, the, 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 un- the reality of this is, this is a virus like none we've seen uh, in, in a very long time. It's highly unpredictable. Um, we, we don't have uh, great treatments for this yet. There are some, but, but certainly no panacea, and we certainly don't yet have a vaccine. And so as a result of that, we have to focus on, on the health and safety that's our obligation. And so that really needs to be our primary focus. And I think a challenge too, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, we have come a long way in six months in learning about a virus, but that is still a relatively short timetable to become well-informed and knowledgeable and scientists around the globe are working on it hour by hour by hour, minute by minute by minute to try to get the most pertinent and up-to-date information that they can on it. So there's still dynamics changing in that aspect as well. So we're just trying to get everyone in a position where we can get to, uh, with what we know, that safety welfare that we just discussed. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, as a, a researcher and scientist and also as someone with a degree uh, in, in, in public health, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's at these times when you get into a situation like this that sometimes people are surprised. They turn and say, well, you know, we've got a bunch of smart people. We've got a bunch of smart scientists. Don't we know the answers to these questions? And the truth is, we don't know a lot of answers to very important questions. Research is happening at a very rapid pace. We're trying to learn. I think we have learned, uh, you know, more about um, how this is transmitted. We've learned more about uh, sort of variation in its symptoms. Um, you know, now a, a lot of focus on things like taste and smell is, is sort of one of the leading indicators. Um, we've learned a lot about uh, different protocols and, and things. So, so there has been learning, but, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, sometimes people think that, um, you know, we, we have all the, the research and the science at hand. Uh, I got a question, you know, within the past couple of weeks on um, if you were teaching in a classroom and you wanted to take a drink of water, uh, would it be better to insert a straw underneath your mask and take a sip or would it be okay to sort of put your mask to the side and, you know, take a sip of your water bottle? The truth is we have no studies on that. I mean, to really study that, you'd have to do a randomized trial and you'd have to sort of arrange, you know, half of the instructors mm-hmm. to do it one way and the other half to do it another way. There are a lot of very important details which are important to people. The reason that question was asked is because faculty are concerned about being in a classroom and potentially uh, catching the virus. So it's an important question. But it's one of those things where science has its limitations. Uh, just generally speaking, we'll probably never research that topic. You just have to use common sense. But on some of the more basic things, 
it does take time and, um, and, and we wish it could all happen quicker. We wish we could come up with a solution quicker. Uh, but, but I will say we got scientists around the world that are focusing on this as well as here on our campus. And I, and I have, uh, I have faith that, uh, that we will get there. Um, probably just not as quickly as any one of us would like. Yeah, and I have faith, too, in the policies and plans that are put in place are going to be effective. Uh, that being said, you can plan and, and try to examine all different dynamics. But as you mentioned, little things keep coming up and questions come up. So what has to happen? And I don't know if this is the million-dollar question, but maybe the, the $10,000 question. What has to happen for these policies and plans to be effective where when students come back on campus and when teams, as some teams already are back on campus, but when you get more towards that competition phase of thing instead of just uh, your off-season workouts and your practices, what has to happen to ensure that these policies and plans not only are effective, but we can follow through with them and get to where fans, athletes, coaches, whoever's involved, the entire Penn State community and state college community can get back to where they're at least seeing uh, athletes on the field, or students in the classroom this fall, make sure these plans work out? Yeah, uh, great question. And, um, you know, I, I, I'd say really four things. I think we we have to all be realistic and understand the uncertainty of the circumstance. That, that we don't have all the details. Uh, we don't know exactly what the future is going to be. So we have to start there. I think that sort of gets into we have to have realistic expectations. And those expectations have to be, that things are not going to be the same. You know, we, we hear that kind of cliche. They're not going to be like they were, but but that really is true. And, and we need to kind of ratchet back our expectations a little bit. What, you know, what, what does that mean? It means that, um, you know, our, our practice and our competition schedule uh, as student athletes is, is likely going to be modified and changed, you know, to some degree. And those details are still being worked out. It means that as students in the classroom, um, you know, we may have a mix of hybrid course offerings or some of our classes might be delivered in, in one form or fashion. So we have to expect that things are going to be different for, for, for anyone to, to now expect it. It's just going to we're going to flip a switch and everything's going to be like it was would be unrealistic. And, and we don't want to be disingenuous and, and, and think about that with those realistic uh, expectations. Brian, I think becomes the need for uh, behavioral change. You mentioned plans and policies. You know, we are, as a university, as an athletic program, as a conference, putting in place our, our best thinking regarding plans and policies around health, safety, and welfare. You know, in, in some ways, uh, again, science supports uh, many of those, and in some cases, they're educated guesses. We'll probably need to modify. But the behavioral part of this is really asking people to comply with those plans and policies. So if that means we ask you to wear a mask, and you wear a mask. If that means that we ask you to maintain uh, a safe distance um, in an activity, and it, it could be in sort of an individual workout or in a gym, then then we need to do that. If that means, you know, using the hand sanitizer, wiping down the fitness equipment after you use it, whatever the case may be, really complying with those policies. And that's the hard thing because human behavior uh, is, is very difficult. You know, I know myself, I've gone back to uh, finally have decided to go back to uh, a gym that I work out at mm -hmm. and um, it, it's group circuit training. You know, they have some of this outside, but you know, they have good 
policy and procedures, you know, equipment being wiped down and everything. And so it takes me a couple extra minutes when I'm done with a workout, you know, to sort of help wipe down that stuff. But I realize that's important for the next person. So I I think, uh, you know, really complying with those behavioral expectations. And I think the last thing is we have to understand that that these plans are likely to be modified um, as we learn more or as we have to, you know, as we figure out kind of a better way to proceed. So I think, uh, you know, what I like to encourage students and athletes to think about is let's see if we can bring back not the same exact experience right away, but at least get you back to the classroom, get you back to practice and hopefully competition in, in what you like to do. Because I really feel, uh, you know, as a parent of four children myself and two in college at Penn State, I, you know, I, I feel bad for these kids. I mean, they, they you know, this is not what their college experience uh really should be. And uh, I think to the extent that we can safely get people back up and running by compliance with our best plans, that's what we want to try to do. Dennis, as I said, there's a variety of topics we could touch on, but I appreciate you giving us some time, not only to talk about your background, but the coronavirus pandemic and Penn State's response to it. So thanks so much for the time. This was a pleasure for me and let's do it again soon. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. And great insight from Dennis. And as I closed the conversation saying to him, we could spend two, three hours maybe on other topics as well, but particularly on COVID-19 and not only Penn State's response, but the Big Ten and the NCAA response. And that's not just from an athletics standpoint. That is just from a university standpoint. And what is being done, what is hopefully going to provide students, athletes, faculty, staff, administrators, the ability to get back on college campuses this fall and allow them to go about it in a safe, healthy, and still productive manner where they can get, as Dennis said, it's not going to be the same, but hopefully replicate to some degree that college experience for each and every one of them. So thank you so much for tuning in to Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. We'll talk to you next time. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.